Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in to uh, this recording. Um, I've been out kind of traveling around a bit through October, which has been cool. I've been liking the... A couple of the the nice weathered weeks that we've had here, a little bit of an Indian summer thing going on. So I kind of like some of that stuff. A lot of a lot of other crazy stuff going on too. But uh, it's been cool to get to kind of jump out into the outdoors a little bit uh, during October. And I think uh, like October, well September, October, and and November are really like uh, maybe one of my favorite outdoors seasons. And it's probably kind of set up that way for a lot of people that have like a tradition of going out on hunting trips through October or, you know, like going out on opening day or something like that. In Oregon, I think it's October 1st, maybe in other States, it's in a a part of September. So I think it's kind of, kind of been tuned and tied to the, uh, the hunting season in uh, like the American cultural lore for probably a hundred years or 80 years or so, uh, as that's kind of, kind of been uh, like part of the American mythologies. But it's uh, cool, though. I like uh, going out in the fall. It's really one of the best times to go camping. It's uh, when you get to kind of take uh, or make use of all the equipment and stuff that you've sort of procured over time. And uh, and that's when you kind of also get to use some of the, the skills and stuff you've been trying to scout out or train on to kind of see how they work and the application of them. You know, in the summertime when it's like really nice out, it's cool to go out and camp. And I've always had a really great time doing that. But uh, like the hot weather camping, I don't know. It's... Um, it's, it demands a little less. I guess that's kind of obvious, but the environment is sort of uh, something that you don't have to contend with as much. And uh, in the deep winter, the environment's probably too much to contend with. So there's a cool kind of pocket that I like uh, <laughs> as like an ideal, uh, but uh, a cool kind of weather pocket or environmental pocket between, I guess, like parts of the fall until november when it kind of gets too deep into it and then parts of the spring as we're coming up into the summertime where you can kind of um you can kind of feel like you're getting to do a little bit more fires still kind of a no right (laughs) but uh (laughs) i'll wait for the winter springtime to do that but at least like in late fall like in november or in these uh like northern oregon areas after you start getting like a layer of snow or a significant amount of rain and the fire uh, the emergency level drops back down to green uh, there's a lot of open burning that you can do on campsites that you set up at public land and stuff. So I think that's always kind of a, a fun part of like the the winter, or like late fall camping stuff is when you get to set up like a bigger fire, gather some wood, gather some big logs to be uh, kind of like your fuel for the evening. It's kind of fun. And it's sort of like that more, I don't know, primal kind of connective to to like the, the real kind of root camping stuff. But uh, as it goes for a lot of the year, uh, like in the summertime, like hot weather stuff, you're kind of like uh, doing it around water or, you know, that's how like we would, we would do stuff, you know, we'd do rafting or something. Uh, so it's kind of like enjoying the day. You don't have to layer up. You don't have to wear like uh, a dry suit or, you know, a bunch of different, I don't know, warming layers that you have to kind of be conscious of. So I think that's kind of where you start getting into more of that now. I think like now, like river trips and stuff, you know, they sort of shift from like the, the recreational summer tourism whitewater stuff that you get between i guess like may and labor day and now as you get kind of further into september and now deep into october uh you have people i guess coming down just kind of strictly for some of the fishing season stuff so you get like uh, instead of rafts you'll have a bunch of drift boats come down like fishing boats and stuff guided tours and stuff for some of the, the lower river stuff or just people out on there they're kind of set up and prepped for fishing trips, but it's cool. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm around some of the fishing stuff during this time of year. In fact, really, I want to get out and do some fishing stuff. I got my fishing license 
earlier this year, and I've gone a couple times this fall, but I need to really, I guess, commit a little more and kind of set it up the right way. I think I'm always kind of doing a couple too many things, you know, like I'm trying to like set a camera up to record footage and then throw some casts and let the line set. And then you wait for an hour or so, but maybe if it's a non-optimal time or you're kind of up to something else and you move on and stuff. So I haven't really caught a lot of stuff that was keeper worthy. I picked up a couple of things out of the lake and it was like, oh, uh, shoot, a little tiny guy or a little like tiny sunfish or rafe. What is it? Yeah, I think it's a little sunfish like these, uh, like kind of like a bluegill. Not a lot, you know, <laughs> Shoot. a little better than a minute. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to try and get into doing some more uh, fall fishing stuff through now until like the end of the year. And I think there's a couple, couple good seasons that kind of come on through uh, November, but I think it'd be cool. I want to try and uh, try and jump into that a little faster. I think there's also some kind of controlled like stocked ponds that are nearby where I'm at. I think they stock them with trout through the winter. And I'm interested in trying out a couple of those places. They seem like they're, you know, or just just to kind of the numbers that they talk about. It's like, oh man, that's that's kind of cool for that kind of a thing for a stocked fishing kind of thing. But uh, I've been trying to get a little bit more into like what I can harvest, what I can prospect, uh, what I can kind of kind of gather from uh, natural resource areas that are around me. And I think it's been kind of fun to do as uh, I guess sort of a hobby. Uh, so along with like the photo stuff that I'm trying to do while I'm out, I've been trying to, like I was saying, like get a fishing license so I can do some fishing stuff on the side or, uh, pick up a little bit of information about what kind of rock counting I can do in that sort of area or, uh, what kind of like foraging stuff I can do or what kind of, uh, like wood gathering opportunities I have. So I've been trying to do some of that stuff a little bit more often, like, uh, and I don't know, email me if there's some other cool stuff I can do, but, uh, but yeah, it's been cool. I've been trying to like now in the fall, go out and do some chanterelle picking uh, so if I can find some spots that are good for it, it's like a lot of stuff like kind of near the coast or coastal range in Oregon, probably, uh, I don't know what, like Florence to Astoria, probably a lot into Washington too, that I just have no clue about. But, uh, that I think like those foot foothills of the, the mountains there kind of get the moisture and they have the right type of, uh, like temperature range. Uh, for them to grow during this time of year. It's interesting, though, how those those grow patterns go. I don't really understand. I really don't understand, like, mushrooms and how those mushroom rings work or how, they, like, their their populations work. But, uh, but yeah, it's really interesting how they, they grow in just, like, certain patches. Like, where they are, there'll be more of those. But where they're not, there won't be. It's kind of, it's I don't know, it's just weird going around and finding them. But if you find one, you'll find, like, more around in that area if it's been, like, a good climate for it. For a while, though... A lot of October still has been really just a little, we've getting a little rain here and there. And I'm glad there's some like systems moving through, but it's really kind of been dry enough still that, uh, that some of the forest floor isn't quite moist enough yet to really start bringing on the, the fungus growth that, uh, that we need to get like a good, a good crop of, uh, edible mushrooms out of it. So uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. And I guess there's going to be a window of it. Sometimes like the, the years are better for it or worse for it. And, uh, I don't know, we'll kind of see how it, how it goes for the rest of the year. Sometimes like as soon as you snap into November, you get a week or two weeks or three weeks into November. And those will really be pretty, pretty good weeks. Uh, but as soon as you get a few days with sort of, a uh, where you get like a strong frost or freeze overnight, that really messes with the growth of those mushrooms. And if you get them consecutively for like three days, that'll really knock out anything. For one of them, you know, the mushrooms, they grow so fast. So if you have a, 
you have a freeze, a hard freeze on Monday, but then it warms up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. By Thursday, you'll you'll be able to get like a you wouldn't even notice. You know, you'll be able to get a good crop of uh, of new newly grown mushrooms out of out of you know that same same area. So it just kind of depends on like how it goes. But as soon as you start getting like a set of hard freezes. Man, it just seems like I've gone out and seen like a bunch of them that had been growing, and then now they're just uh, like mushy, and you know they just oh, they got a deep freeze, they they frosted over, and now it's like a dead plant, and it's just kind of turned into a mush. And they, man, those mushrooms turn into a mush real fast. It's really weird. I was looking at a ring that's growing in our yard. It's just toadstools, you know, like out by uh, like the I don't know, just out by like a an apple tree. It's cool that they come on, but they come on in like, uh, I think kind of late September is when they start to pop up this ring out there. And then there, there's some other areas that I've noticed them around town too. It seems like it's just like a certain time of year and boom, here's all these, as soon as the conditions get met right. Uh, but yeah, right where those are, they come up and then they last about, I don't know, maybe five days, a week or so. Maybe it's been a week and a half now, and but they, they really start to decay and they start to like, kind of kind of fall over, fall apart. And it's interesting too, to see how the grass responds, the grass and the lawn around it. Looks like it's been fertilized heavily, but yeah, it just boom, pops up, bright, dark green grass, about three inches or maybe three, I don't know, maybe twice as tall as the, the rest of the grass around it. So yeah, it seems like those little toadstool mushrooms fed the lawn pretty well. But yeah, I think there's like another growth of them coming on now, which is kind of interesting how they, they come on in a couple of phases, but there's some, some fresh ones coming up in the, the ring area around it. And then those will, I don't know, those will kind of last for a couple of days and then wilt out over again too but it's cool um checking out some mushrooms and stuff around here but yeah i've been trying to go out and sort of see what i can uh, forage around for which has been kind of fun i'm not really sure what other stuff there is i hear there's what is it elderberry i hear about that being looked for and i remember now this is another one i remember seeing a a person it was a strange circumstance i was driving on a on a forest road out in the mountains here pretty deep in the mountains and didn't see any cars around, didn't, or didn't pass a car on the drive up. You know, you see a car, then you're like, oh, well, there's probably a person around with that car. And then after we passed this, like, we didn't see a car either, but we, we were driving, and then there was, a like, a shorter man with a hat, and he had two big racks of these, like, branches, maybe about as long as, like, your elbow to your fingertip or so, but these long, like, thin branches with these big, broad green leaves on it. And it'd be, yeah, it'd be I don't know, maybe twenty four inches or so, and they were all on these stacks. And then there would there'd be like a kind of a plywood thing, or I don't know what it was, maybe newspaper or something, paper. But then it was like more stacked on top of that, and then another layer more stacked on top of that. But yeah, you just had this big bundle of these sticks with these big broad green leaves on it. And he was standing there on the edge of the road that we were at, and we drove by, and then we drove down the rest of this road and yeah we never saw a car or anything that he was staying in but this guy was out here collecting these green sticks and leaves uh so i'm not sure what that is it looked like elderberry i'd never really identified it exactly i know some of that grows up here and i know people try and forage for it but i'm not really sure what for or how it works but now that i know they do it i want to do it too sort of how the chanterelle thing came out i think like a lot of people had never really, really even heard of that uh, or a lot of like the mushroom picking stuff, like morels. Morels got really popular and stuff, but uh, I think it's like kind of because because it, it kind of people sort of found out that you can go look for it, and people are going look, looking for it, or that it's like really expensive. You think like, wow, if it's fifteen bucks to look for it, or fifteen bucks to buy a pound of mushrooms, the chanterelle mushrooms in the store. Well, if it's that expensive, it must be good, and if it's that good, then I must want to go look for it. 
sort of what it seems like a little bit but it's cool going out looking for some mushrooms and stuff outside i hear people talking about like uh like picking morels and i guess those grow i guess those must grow in a different environment like a different terrain or or whatever it is i hear about them more like toward like in the east or like the midwest so i'm not really sure but i know like there's different relationships of like the the tree to the type of soil and the type of like environment that it's in uh all kind of plays a part into like what mushroom is going to grow is it a mycorrhizal relationship i might have talked about it last time but I don't really understand how that works, but I don't, so I don't understand what allows there to be like a morel versus a good spot for a chanterelle to grow or a portobello or what is what are those regular white ones? Just those criminy, just regular ones that we eat and stuff. So I'm not really sure what what kind of like allows you to to farm some but not farm others. I know that's a big one that you can't effectively farm morel mushrooms. I guess you can you can harvest them in an area that is set up as an optimal environment that's about as good as as they've had it like they've had they found like where they're growing and the time of year that they grow well and they try and optimize for that so they can go through and harvest more of it out of it but they haven't been able to take i suppose like an area that that didn't have the correct environment for it and then sort of artificially grow more then the landscape would kind of bear naturally. I don't think they figured that out. And I don't really understand that, like how there's some that you can, uh, or, or you, you kind of figure out a little bit, but like it's just like the complications between the relationships for some of them get so complex that it's like difficult to re- recreate. I guess there are biologists that work on that, of like how to get, or what is it? A, uh, it's not a biologist, it's a type of biologist that studies mushrooms, right? A mycologist? Mycology? I think it's mycology and a mycologist for studying mushrooms. But I also think there's like agriculture interests. I think there's like a food industry interest in trying to generate mushrooms of different varieties so that they're like a, a commercially available product. So I think they're trying to like work those things out. So sometimes it's mycologists at that level trying to study it and figure that out. But I think sometimes it's like, I don't know, whole different companies and groups and teams of people trying to sort of sort of uh, figure out ways to sort out those problems with uh, with growing and harvesting some mushrooms and stuff. You know, I was hearing about this other thing too, where if you get a bunch of mushrooms and you're not quite sure what they are, there's a lot. There's I guess a few different ways, or there's there's a couple problems where. It's difficult to identify certain types of mushrooms. There's some mushrooms that have, well, I'm not really sure how it goes. I really don't know anything about it. So I guess I should leave with that. There's a lot of them that are poisonous. I guess it's sort of like the the uh, the cautionary point of it. Like people talk about mushroom picking a lot, but really there's a lot of mushrooms that are, that are pretty dangerous or that are just going to likely make you sick. So if you don't really have much expertise in it, uh, it's kind of, kind of difficult to go out and do that easily, you know, cause you're just going to gather some stuff that may look like it or may look almost exactly like it, but there's sort of some nuanced detail that makes it a different mushrooms or di- a different mushroom species that actually is one that's, you know, not good for you or at least not edible. There's a lot of, there's, I guess the difference between like the, the neurotoxic mushrooms that uh, will, I think, kill you. Or or get you really sick uh, and like sick uh, in like a, a neurotoxin way, but then I think there's like a, a number of them that are just inedible in a way where they'll they'll I guess one from a range make you very sick to eat, or they'll make you just kind of like mildly 
unhappy with what you ate but generally like i'd prefer not to eat a lot of that stuff or like if it, if it seems like it's a a bad or like an unknown i'd rather like not eat uh, just sort of an unknown mushroom a lot of them i guess you can eat or there's a number of them that are like maybe not preferred but are edible but sort of may make you get an upset stomach i was kind of confused about that of like well why would you eat it i was like oh you can eat it it'll make you sick but yeah you can eat it it's like well Oh, but isn't that what, why, why I wouldn't eat it? I mean, it's, it's a thing I'm eating that makes me sick, right? Like, I can eat rotten milk too, right? It just makes you sick. Like, so I don't want it. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I've heard of that as an explanation for some stuff. Also, I don't know. You, you hear weird explanations for eating natural things sometimes. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I was hearing about this thing where you can, you can put, you can put a, you can put a bunch of mushrooms that you've got down on like a screen and then put like paper on the backside of it. And then if you cover them and let them sit for a while, they'll, the, after they're cut, they'll end up throwing their spores. And I guess with certain mushrooms, you can visually like see the spore pattern that's dropped onto the sheet that you put on that screen. And I guess that's how they're able to identify some similar shaped mushrooms. Like if this mushroom looks this way, and this other mushroom of a different species looks almost exactly the same way. A way that you can identify how they are different is by setting them on the screen and then getting a throw of their spores and then identifying the spore. Like, you know, one spore pattern will be like bluish or purplish or I don't know, whatever. And the other pattern will, or the other spore pattern will be like a yellow color or something. So you're like, oh, well, like this one, like through this kind of spore and this one didn't so like now we can identify this is this as this specific mushroom i thought that was weird though like how how to kind of figure that out but uh fortunately like it, that's what's cool about chanterelles is that they're really one of the easiest ones to identify the golden chanterelles there's one that like almost looks like it that's a good thing to like pull up a youtube video to identify visually how to how to distinctly tell those difference the differences apart between them it's sort of the way that the the gills are fluted up the vein of the stem and then as it kind of comes up to the mushroom top how does that how does that transition happen with chanterelles it's the 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 gills are really shallow and they start real low on it and then kind of sweep up the fluting of the stem up to the mushroom top and uh and then with these imposter ones i guess there's kind of like a hard angled joint there where you see the gill lines start and then the gills kind of come out from there with like a deeper uh, a deeper sort of cut to the to the gill ridge with sort of some finer material, but those aren't good to eat. And I think those are a little bit more of a white color. There's white chanterelles too. I'm not really sure how that goes. The difference between like the white chanterelles or the golden chanterelles. I thought it was like sun exposure. Like if they were kind of bleached out from being sort of hidden under moss or something, they always seem to be like a, a lighter kind of, well, yeah, just like a real light color, but then I thought the ones that were out in the sunshine had to sort of defend against that and like uh, got like more of a color to them. But I guess they're kind of like a different set of mushroom types, sort of what I understand. But I've collected both of them in sort of the same areas, and if you find one, then it seems like you find uh, both of them. So I'm not sure how that goes, but I've uh, appreciated kind of collecting them. And uh, it's uh, cool to, to dry them. That's what I've been trying to do is it's hard to eat through all those mushrooms fresh as they are. Uh, when you're harvesting them, I'm harvesting those mushrooms all at one time. And so what I'm trying to do this year, as opposed to what I've done in past years, where I just try and make up a dish with all the mushrooms all that first time while they're fresh, it's fun to kind of go through uh, the stuff you harvested and then like make a 
big pasta thing and like put a bunch of mushrooms in it. But this time it's just the ones that you harvested after you clean them. So that's really cool. And it's fun to uh, put stuff like that together. But what I'm hoping to do is kind of gather up enough stuff from going out a little bit more frequently into a few different areas and then uh, gathering up the stuff that I've got, drying it out, and then uh, having like dried mushrooms that are bagged and stored so that I can have them kind of through the rest of the year. Um, I've also heard about like freezing mushrooms. Have you guys heard of that? I know like, or like, you know, like when you thaw it out, like it's not really the same material anymore at all. So it's like you have to kind of put it into a, a sauce or something like that. So I was thinking like the cell damage that you get after freezing, it would just be like way too much to really use again. So I think what I'm going for is to like do a, uh, to dehydrate the mushrooms so I can like cut them or even maybe leave them intact, but like, uh, have those mushrooms dehydrated which is, there's a lot of water. If you like, um, especially like after it's been like really wet, like they just soak up that water in the forest floor and then it's all within that, that cell mass of the chanterelle. But when you put like, take a cut of a chanterelle, that's like a kind of a thicker, hardier one. You take a cut of it and you put it on a frying pan that's hot and you watch like the amount of water that it releases. But it's like, wow, that is just almost all rainwater that had come down and filled the cell walls. And now it's being released as you start to cook it. But you think, man, that's a lot. No way. So, I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's cool uh, going through October, doing some of this stuff. I've also been trying to go out and do some rock counting stuff. It's cool. I've just kind of been jetting over. I mean, this is like kind of the old and easy classic one, but I've been jetting over to the coast, kind of keep an eye on the high tide and low tide times of the day and of the month. But it's uh, cool to jet out there and uh, check out what rocks are sort of washed up on the surface in the sand on the beaches uh, in times of low tide. So it's kind of cool going out there, cruising the rock line and kind of just picking up some nice polished stones on the beach, which I've been kind of trying to do. Some jade stuff is kind of cool. You find like the, the little green ones, find some sand dollars and stuff, but you find like some cool rocks out there. I've been kind of having a good time trying to pull up some of those stones. A couple times we've got agate. A couple times it's like quartz. I think it's like a quartz rock. And then a lot of the time it's, I don't know, just some of their kind of cool, normal, what is it, basalt, normal rock stuff, or it's got a line in it or something. That's kind of cool when you find one with like a, a textured feature of it, you know, where it's, uh, there's some seam or something in there. I always like that kind of stuff too, where it's, uh, it's kind of a combination and stuff, but been going out to the beach and uh, trying to find some rocks and stuff through October and trying to kind of get out and do some more active stuff. I'll get into some of the camping trip stuff that I've done here in a little bit, but yeah, trying to go out to Eastern Oregon and check out some stuff and, uh, sort of poke around and that's been cool. I like the, uh, like I was saying, I like the October time period, you know, it's kind of a cool outdoor month for stuff. And that's kind of what I was going to talk about too, is uh, kind of layering up stuff for October. Um, I've been trying to kind of build up the, the layers of clothes and the layers of like shelter stuff that I have for some of the outdoor travel stuff that I go out and do. And I do it on a budget and I don't really have much stuff. And like other people have a lot more experience of like just getting to try all these different pieces and, and see like the benefits or the uh, kind of weigh out the, pluses and minuses of different pieces um and so i'm sure like it's probably the case that like the best gear is always the best gear but it's kind of interesting to sort of go through those checklists or you know like kind of in your mind like seeing like well like how's this work or what's better for me for this thing or or not and so um i've been pretty happy to always have or for the last couple of years to have like a gore-tex rain shell layer and for a lot of the outdoor stuff that i do in oregon uh, later into the year that's been like a real lifesaver for having just like a, a hard waterproof shell that I can like really trust that has like a good hood on it that can keep me dry for most of the day 
that along with um and i guess kind of like working inward like the puffy jacket makes a huge difference and uh so i use like a puffy jacket all the time there's a few different uh like sizes though and you sort of have to like look at the down fill layer to see what's going to be best for you and like the climate that you're going out to and it's kind of weird it goes back and forth for me a little bit so like out here in oregon uh where i am um like west of the cascades it's sort of a mild climate area a lot of the year and so i'm able to i think you're kind of dealing with like uh above freezing temperatures most hours and on most days through the year i think like you know there's there's some some sections of the year where you get some some heavy freezes but outside of those storm times it's like it's really like pretty mild weather a lot of the time and if i'm going camping or doing something outdoors in the winter uh Oh, well, there's a couple different types. I, I definitely use it. But really, for a lot of like the three-season work I do, I use a light puffy jacket. I have like this North Face thermo, Thermoball. I think it's like a like a polyester-based one. It's not a down-filled puffy jacket. But I've used that for maybe six years now, and I really appreciate having that. I think it's been great. Um, and that's probably one of my most used uh, insulating layers when I'm going out. And, uh, and I mean, it works great. Really, all four seasons with uh, kind of paired in these mild weather circumstances like I am here in Oregon like that paired with uh, that shell has been enough for me to go out in in almost every kind of weather circumstance that I've been in when I've gone out and I've been working or like when I was working outside a lot in the rain and uh, trying to be outside like most days through the fall and winter. It was really fine to do that uh, with a, a strong or like a good Gore-Tex shell that keeps you dry all the way and uh, a, a puffy uh thermo insulating layer that keeps you warm so it's pretty cool but kind of comparing that and i have like this patagonia jacket that i think has like a, a heavier down fill rating and that has a lot of insulation to it which is cool warm jackets are great and i definitely take that out kind of in deeper into the winter but what i noticed though is that for a lot of circumstances like i was saying three season work and while you're you're working or kind of like physically uh, kind of exerting yourself, I've, no, I've noticed like if it's not below freezing, that is too warm of a jacket to wear. And so you kind of get to pick a little bit of like where your your environmental thresholds are, like what kind of environment are you spending a lot of time in? Is it going to be above freezing temperatures or below freezing temperatures? Or is it going to be hot weather temperatures like where you're working, you know, your coldest temperatures might be 50, but you're really going up toward like the 80s and 90s pretty regularly. And that's kind of a different environment to work in too. Uh, so I've been kind of trying to keep an eye on that. But as we're kind of dropping into October, the outfitting stuff that I'm doing is sort of away from the heat gear stuff that I would have been using where I'm in uh, like lighter synthetic shorts and uh, trying to use like lighter layers and stuff. Uh, like in the winter, you kind of get to layer up and stuff, which is also kind of fun. Sweater weather, right? So uh, what I picked up last year, and I'm kind of... Um, excited to put some more use into it was uh, uh, a wool base layer. Um, so I got a wool t-shirt, which is great. And I kind of appreciate trying to cut out some of the cotton material that I'm using when I'm going out and doing some more outdoor stuff. And I guess it's because I, apparently back in the day, cotton was uh, a great revolution, right? You know, it was a, a more breathable fabric and it would dry faster than other fabrics that they had available to them, I guess is part of what was uh, cool about it. Uh, but as I sort of understand now, it's one of the more riskier types of fabric that you can wear as a base layer when you're out in the woods for a couple of days or when you're out camping or, um, you know, they, they talk in TV shows about when you're in a survival situation. 
Not really that. But yeah, when you're out camping or if you were going to go hunting or if you're going to go on a couple day photo trip in the woods and you're just going to be living out of your truck and stuff, it, it kind of is, it ends up being a little difficult to use a lot of cotton pieces, especially if you're going to get wet or if it's cold and you don't want to get wet, but you do get wet. Man, that's a bummer because the cotton stuff just kind of stays wet and it gets cold when it gets wet. And a couple of those things just sort of lead to it being a little bit frustrating. And I guess that's where some of the the survival complications have happened with people who are out in okay conditions. They get hit with a cold rain or a wet snow and they're in a, like a, an outer let, you know, they're in insulating layers, but they're like a cotton uh, coating or like, I guess like, uh, like a tough, warm insulated Carhartt jacket. Someone went hunting and that they got into some wet snow on the second morning, the Carhartt wet pants got, or the, the, the pants that were insulated got wet from the tall grass and brush that they walked through and then the person became hypothermic because of their exposure to the cold that soaked through their pants that got them very cold and i think they had to like ditch the pants get into their sleeping bag that was synthetic and then they try to like warm them up with a hot water bottle in a sleeping bag or something like that out of the jet boil. But really like it ended their trip. I think they like, they can't continue out of that sort of stuff. So it's kind of interesting. I like that kind of, that kind of thing can go. And I don't know, people have probably heard anecdotes like that. Similarly in the past, I'd heard like someone else talking about like a, a, a warm weather thing where I think they were going out on like a 42 day canoe trip. Can you imagine that? Like going through some big river system in Labrador up in Canada. Wow. Fun times, popping out in the Hudson Bay or something. Who knows? Uh, and, um, but they would go up there and they would they would talk about like uh, all like the specific limitations on the type of fabrics that they would select to use. Because like if they got wet in the river, or I think it was like a cold weather, or who who knows what kind of weather you're going to get. Sort of circumstance where you go between hot and cold in Canada, kayaking or, or canoeing down 1,100 miles or something like that. Just big long trips like that, and they would kind of be really specific about. How like they 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 won't even have cotton boxers or cotton underwear because it'll it'll be the thing that ends up being a problem. Other people or another person, I think, kind of there's there's a lot of great ways to sort of work through this next problem. But I think someone argued that they did have cotton on them so that they could use it as a fire starter if they needed a fire starter. I suggest to just bring fire starter. Or some other some other material like that, I think it would probably get you by a little better than uh, your your cotton underwear. Um, best fire starter that I've used and heard about was well, I mean, yeah, like a stove or whatever. But if you're if you're trying to light a fire in the winter, like uh, having a, a plastic bag with Vaseline dipped cotton swabs was like a pretty inert material. To just like having a backpack doesn't smell like kerosene or something. Uh, and it has multiple uses. You can use it cosmetically for a number of things. Or goodness, if your lips chap, oh, I hate it when it gets dry and cold and you go, oh, man, my pores can't handle it. They were in a different environment, 5,000 feet of difference in elevation a day ago. Too much change and too much seasonal change. And yeah, you get like, I don't know, just rough spots or dry spots or something. So you can use a Vaseline, you can use the cotton swabs for all sorts of different things, but they're fantastic. If you light that up, it's a great little flame ball and you can use that with the stack of your other dry materials to get a fire going. Uh, even in pretty wet conditions, especially if you're kind of keeping your, your fire starter material uh, protected in uh, some little part of your backpack, keeping it dry and stuff. 
Um, that works out pretty well, and I think it works better than uh, like your underwear on a rafting trip. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, people people try to not use that. People try to like drop their leather belts. Like they won't take a leather belt out into the woods either. Uh, I like having like a sturdy belt. And, like, well, you see, like people with, like big leather boots or whatever. It's not because it gets wa- waterlogged, but I guess because it's maybe a weight thing. I think that's what the idea was for for the, maybe they're like going backpacking and use like a piece of nylon webbing as a belt at that time. Um, or other stuff where like, uh, I don't know, just little tricks and things of like how you kind of hide certain materials and other materials and stuff. But uh, it's, I don't know, it's weird how it goes. Uh, so I guess, yeah, cotton stuff is sort of no-go. They talk about using wool a lot as sort of like a preferred material to make it out of. Or down. I hear like down stuff is uh, kind of a preferred material. And then I also kind of hear similarly cited bad things about sort of the petroleum developed products that you get from polyesters or nylons or uh, I guess like those polyester insulating foams that you get like those thermoball insulating foam bits that would be in the pouches of another polyester material that makes up like the puffy jacket that I wear for the Patagonia one that's a down filled uh, puffy jacket you have little goose feathers poking out <laughs> poking out of it all the time too yeah if you like kind of you feel around the right way a little a little goose feather will punch out the side and you pull it out hey poof a little feather right there a little little down feather uh which is kind of trippy but uh but those i guess are like a better insulating system uh than like the synthetic kind of oil-based uh stuff and i guess the same goes for like sleeping bags too if you want to get into like a sleeping bag to keep you warm uh, there's some like the like the 15 degree bags that are well, I don't know. And it has a couple other features too. Where I guess it's like light and it scrunches down well. And if you get it wet, you can get it dry again well, I guess. It depends on like certain qualities of down sometimes. That kind of get I think, is a little tricky. But the wool, I guess you can get, you can have get wet, you'll stay warm, and you can get it dry faster. And I think that's sort of the benefit of the wool on the animal that gets wet too. You know, like if you think about a sheep getting rained on all the time, I guess it's sort of part of the fibers that it uh, doesn't, doesn't attract a lot of odor because it has to be on an animal all the time and i guess it does well to not have to like make you cold when it gets wet and i guess that's a big part of it so a lot of the merino wool fabrics that have come out or the merino wool blends that are with uh, some little bit of spandex or some other kind of natural fiber product that they try and put in helps it kind of be a little bit more durable when they have those little blends but mostly you want like a pretty strong merino wool fabric and that's pretty cool if uh, if you're getting sort of like a base layer or something like that that's a little bit more tuned for the outdoors there's like wool sweaters or something that you can find but that's not quite it they're cool old wool, wool shirts you know like an old old pendleton shirt or an old filson shirt that's like a a loggers kind of wool button up that would go under like a like a canvas jacket that kind of thing's cool but that's sort of a different look and it's uh there used to be the the technical gear layering and probably still you'd see if you get like a i don't know like a a a horse guide like a guided trip with a horse or a mule or something like that that's to pack in a bunch of stuff they probably still use gear that's sort of similar to that without the uh kind of like the the technical synthetic gear that you try and find at like rei hiking places or something or or wherever, whatever else similarly branded. Um, but, but yeah, it's cool. Uh, trying to do some wool merino underlayers 
trying to work with those puffy jackets when I can. I'm trying to work with um well, I have a, a soft shell that actually gets a lot less use than it used to. I used to try and use soft shells all the time, but but really I, I just kind of go with the wool, the wool base layer, the north face kind of warm, you know, like warmer temperature rated uh puffy jacket and then I have the Gore-Tex layer over that. Um, picked up a hat this year. Hats are pretty cool. Liking that. Boots. I had a couple of different sets of boots for the October stuff before it gets real heavy in the in the season, before it gets like real wet or rainy. And while I'm kind of doing some of this lighter outdoor stuff, I have um, uh, like a, a pair of heavy leather boots that are super cool for some of the deeper hiking stuff that you get into, especially after it's real wet and rainy and stuff. But really for a lot of the light season stuff and sort of summer spring stuff i have these uh nike sfb boots it's like that military boot i picked it up in brown or like a desert tan color and then i also picked up a similar pair uh that under armor makes and so they're kind of like a lighter more athletic shoe from the base but they have like kind of a tall neck that goes up uh, to like your mid mid upper ankle there and uh, so it's not like a real tall boot or like it's not like galoshes. They're not waterproof. They're kind of vented on the sides and uh, they dry out. They're kind of like a synthetic material that dries out pretty quick when you do get it wet. But uh, it also has like a good bit of tread and yeah, you can get them wet, get them dry, get them wet. I think they're kind of made for a, a, an okay dry environment. That's sort of where I use them most of the time is, uh, you know, hiking around for any of this uh, kind of lighter duty forest stuff is really nice. Cause they're light boots. Like with those other heavy leather, leather ones, like just the soles of the boots seem like they're a pound each, you know, you kind of like feel it the first couple of days that you're, you're getting back into the use of them during the season where you're like, man, my feet are like four pounds heavier. It seems like each you're just kind of like walking with a weight on it. So it's nice to have a, uh, one of the newer sort of higher tech boots they don't have the same kind of ankle support as like a thicker leather boot does or and they don't have the same kind of heel support i like to talk about like those you know thick uh like like a, a two inch heel or something that like one of those whites boots has or if you get like red wings they have like a real deep uh thick heel on it that you can use to kind of stomp in and cut in on uh, some hiking stuff and uh for these yeah it's just kind of like a, a good a good sort of smooth walking boot and you get some ankle support from that, that tall neck, but it's sort of a fabric uh, so that it really seems like it, you're just, it's a light boot and it seems like you're ready to you know run and you can do like a, uh, an athletic maneuver in these pretty well. And it doesn't seem like the boot's going to be too heavy to slow you down. Not, not right for every circumstance. Like if I'm really going in a, a deeper area, uh, it's cool. Really. It's nice to have like the kind of protection of a steel toed leather boot um, but, uh, like the, the normal SFBs I think are not a steel toe. I think, I think these Under Armour ones though are, and I think there are steel toe versions that are out there. Um, but that does seem to, I've, I've kind of run into a few circumstances where, uh, for some of the, some of the more woodsy stuff, it really seems like having the steel toe has, uh, helped a lot, uh, to keep, uh, keep my feet protected and stuff. And, uh, if you're hiking a lot, you got to, you got to watch out for blisters and stuff too. One of the big things I've noticed about that is like really breaking in your shoes with three weeks or more, but three weeks of like pretty near full-time use to, to really start getting them broken in or to get kind of the, the feel, the break, the crease, the, the kind of the fabric kind of working together in the way that it's going to fit around your body and stuff. But yeah, it seems like it takes about three weeks to sort of get those, uh, those shoes broken into a spot that, uh, that ends up being comfortable for longer trips and longer wear. I had like a, a pair of Chacos, 
oh, man, those Chacos, they were great. You know, you don't, you don't wear socks with them. You don't like buffer it with wool socks or something. But I remember, I think, working with those for like three weeks or so. At first, your feet, man, they will rub raw. <laughs> Yuck. Uh, but they, yeah, they don't, you'll get some hot spots with the webbing on those Chacos. It's like this real kind of tough uh, webbing. But uh, after like three weeks or so, like after you kind of wear your foot into it so that it's kind of strong enough to deal with it, and you also start breaking in the rubber of the boot or the rubber of that, that foot or the shoe. It's your, it's your foot. But once you get that all kind of broken in, I was able to hike for miles and miles in those and really have no rub problems at all. I think I, I did... I think I did the whole, the whole hiking trip up to the summit of the Paintbrush Divide in the Cascade Canyon. You know, like that that the Tetons trip that I talk about sometimes. But yeah, I did that whole hiking trip of the Tetons in early or mid late September, probably right around now. Um, but I did that trip in the Tetons with just those uh, those black chacos that I had that had like kind of that boot tread bottom. And I did great through that whole trip. I did like a 42 mile trip uh, down the lower rogue. That was like a hiking, a backpacking trip. So you have a back on, back, you pack on, you got these little river shoes on and you're hiking away on the trail. And yeah, a lot of the times if you're not really in shape for it, man, those will just rip your feet up pretty badly. And I've seen it really affect some people's trips before you know like where their shoes just like really start to bite in on them and it happens really fast as soon as you get like a hot spot or something it can be just a quarter mile or another mile and then like that that problem has been exacerbated a lot um, so as soon as it like gets bad boom man gets bad fat or it starts to degrade fast and then once it's gone it's it's gone and for a while you know so it's bad uh and it yeah, can cause some some mobility problems when you're out there. So I think kind of kind of dealing with some of that stuff or kind of breaking them in early and stuff is cool. Um, which is what I've been trying to do with some of my shoes. But yeah, trying to get outfitted for the stuff in October. It's been kind of fun uh, trying to work out the uh, the layers and stuff. Picked up a fanny pack. I guess I didn't talk about bags and stuff. I should talk about that next time. But yeah, I picked up a little fanny pack. <laughs> it's cool. It's sort of like a military styled one, or it's sort of like a desert tan and has a kind of a look or i don't know whatever like the the build it's got like bullet hole not bullet holes it's got like little straps like a cowboy belt would have to like put ammunition in like you have a couple bullets a couple extra shells slide them in to this little belt lining here Nice. I don't know if I'll use those a ton, but I got this to kind of pair with the binocular harness I have. And then now that like on the left side, and then I have kind of a, a smaller camera bag sling that I take uh, just the camera that I, so I have like the bigger gear bag in the truck or something. And then I'll have just the camera bag as a sling, like a small light one that I hike around with. And uh, that one works really well. Um, it's like a smaller low pro sling. It's probably what it's called. It's got a little, coffee cup holder in the front of it one bay to kind of hold stuff but that goes around my side and stuff that's got my camera in it then i've got this fanny pack with any of the other uh tools or fixings that i would have normally maybe had to put in a backpack or something and uh, that's been like a pretty good and kind of light mobile bit to move around with when i'm not trying to carry a bigger backpack or water bottle or something and uh, that's really nice to do when i'm already carrying the camera bag on the side so uh that the bino harness on the front fanny pack on the side jackets all around pretty set up and uh, ready to go for some fall stuff. So it's been kind of cool and uh, it's not been super exciting. It's just kind of like sitting next to the truck on a cold day, wearing a bunch of jackets, sort of waiting for it to get warmer 
waiting for my uh or trying to get my jet boil going jet boils are fast so you don't have to wait much but uh trying to yeah sit there next to my truck next to my tripod hoping that i get some okay pictures that are kind of like ah, where am i it's sort of woodsy or something you're like well i'll take a picture i'm excited about it it's been kind of cool i've been over by some some lake sites and stuff that are really cool uh so you get some nice lights some nice uh, kind of open views open vistas with the with the lake and the water line and stuff. And uh, so I really kind of appreciate that getting out to Eastern Oregon, seeing some sunrises, some sunsets. That's really cool. Getting over to the ocean and stuff, getting up into the forests. So I'm trying to kind of keep it moving through October. And I don't know, it's been a, a good time so far. So got a couple new things that I'm going to be trying to work on. I'm trying to set up like a, a Twitch account. We'll kind of see how that goes. I know it's kind of primarily focused for live streaming, which isn't maybe exactly what I want to do with it, but I do want to have a Twitch account available that's sort of uh, operating uh, some kind of live stream related to the the type of media stuff that I put together over the years. So I'm going to try and uh, be building that out uh, over the next couple of weeks, but you can try and check that out. I think it's a, uh, it's a uh, twitch.com forward slash Billy Newman. Maybe that's it. I don't know if there's a different URL to it, but uh, the, the username on Twitch is Billy Newman. There should be a, a Billy Newman live stream going. That'll be a lot of the Billy Newman photo.com uh, content on there sort of rebroadcast as a live stream hoping to kind of have that be a uh, a rolling tool that i use uh, which is kind of fun so trying to get uh, that up and running and also similarly trying to do some video capture and like some screen capture tools trying to use those to make some videos around some of the photo editing work that i've done in the past and so i can kind of like walk through a photo and then we can kind of visualize the changes that were made to the photo see it kind of before or after or with different changes sort of applied to it so we can kind of figure out like well like from this picture like how do you kind of make it over here and or how do you just even like tune out some of the more distracting elements so you just get to the the base image that you would have seen originally you know you see like oh it looks like that but maybe if you push it this way or push it this way you get different effects to it so uh, trying to do some of that work and uh, it's really just kind of a, a slower sort of mellow look at some of the photo editing things that uh, that go on to really make a dif- an image different i'm kind of trying to deconstruct it from being like a show you know like um you know like remember watching cooking shows back in the day you watch emerald or or something like that and you, as soon as like the hard part comes up of like you know where they had to spend an hour doing preparatory work to get a, a meal ready they just say like oh well we're about to get it ready and then they just kind of like slip it under the desk and then right out of the oven they pull the freshly baked one that's like ready to go tv perfect you know the one of the 10 that they made that had the right type of browning over the top it kind of it just like sort of the phony showness of it of like well here it is you know without any problems here's the demonstration of how we get from point a to, to the very end and so we'll kind of see if it goes that way but uh, for the most part, I'm just kind of trying to slowly walk through like, oh, well, like if if we make this kind of change to one of the dynamics and then we also throw in this change, then we get like this really strong effect that's too much. So if we back those down, then we get to kind of see where the balance is or where those get a little bit more even or um, so just kind of like walking through some of those things that I've learned over time. And that's kind of cool. But uh, trying to put some of that up, that up eventually on the Twitch account, on the YouTube account and on other other websites where video was served I'm trying to make it available there but i think video should be like a cool part or like a bigger part of what i try and uh and do not to sell but just uh, other stuff that i produce through 2021 coming up on it soon um so yeah you can check out some of that stuff but uh, go to billynewmanphoto.com to get links to everything you're going to find out more information there check out some of the recent blog posts i put up uh 
I don't know, just some photo stuff that I've been up to. And uh, you're like, yeah, you'll definitely see some some changes on the site and stuff over the next uh, few weeks. More podcasts to come. That's kind of cool. So trying to get out to do a little bit more uh, stuff here in October before we start to probably tune it down a little bit after as a, as a holiday start out, probably after around my birthday or so, around like the 11th of November, 15th of November. We'll sort of tune it down a little bit for the holidays, which will be cool. But podcasts throughout, some stories throughout, some editing, some photos, some video stuff. That's probably why I'll work on that more. But maybe some of the the deep the deep woods stuff might uh, might tune down as the the winter comes. So thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can check out billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support to find out ways you can donate to this podcast and uh, support the work that I've been doing to do photography stuff. Uh, you can also find out other ways to uh, get a hold of some of the photographs if you're interested in making uh, financial contributions that way. But uh, definitely appreciate you guys checking out this podcast. Talk to you again next time.